Welcome back, boys and girls. I know it has been a little bit of a, a break here. Thanksgiving break, if you will, but Nick the American is back. He's back for episode 29. He's been naming these episodes. Eric Dickerson, I guess, episode 29 would, would bring a bell. But uh, here we go. Here we go. I'm glad to be back. I know you guys are damn glad to have me back. But uh, this this past uh, like week and a half, two weeks that I've been off, we had my son, my oldest son, Carter's 18th birthday. Had a bunch of his friends over. And had a little party for him. And this is just something as parents we all go through. Young little child grows up so doggone fast. I've got four of them. And they just grow up so fast. You know, you hear the cliche, you wish you could shrink them. You wish you could keep them at a certain age. That is so true with my 18-year-old. Of all four of my kids, and I've got four kids. Of all four of my kids, I remember Carter's birth. (laughs) The best. The details. You could ask me about Campbell or Brady, my third or fourth, and they kind of get the short end of the stick. But boy, nothing's like your first. And uh, so I I literally remember sitting at work on a Friday. It was a Friday afternoon. My wife's due date is not for two weeks. And it's, it's, we're coming up on the weekend. My wife is a first grade teacher at her school, and she's got parent teacher conferences. Okay? Okay. She's got parent-teacher conferences and her water breaks during the parent-teacher conference. She calls me at work and says, it's time. My water broke. And I'm like, what do you mean it's time? We have two weeks. Honey, we have two freaking weeks. Nicholas, you need to get in your car and come get me. And we need to go to the hospital now. But we have two weeks. No, 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 we didn't have two weeks. Anyways, I get in my car, and I'm out in Bothell, Washington at the time, and I've got to drive to Renton, Washington, where my wife is teaching. And it's about a, typically, it's about a half-hour drive. And there was a traffic jam on the freeway. There was like a wreck. And literally, I was in the car for like an hour and 20 minutes, And at some point during the drive, I literally forgot why I was driving. I just kind of blacked out in some sort of way that, oh, my God, my wife is in labor. I'm about to have my first kid. Well, I pick up my wife. We go to the hospital. I literally am so out of sorts. I can't even park the damn car. I can't even park the car. I'm trying to think, did my wife get out and park it for me? I think she did literally parked the damn car for me because I just didn't know what the fuck to do. But, uh, yeah, Carter was the only one of four children who my wife did not give birth to naturally. She ended up taking the Pitocin and she was so upset about it. She kind of got forced into it. The next three, she did not make that same mistake. She, well, same mistake. She went through it without drugs, but, uh, yeah, my goodness, Carter Scapini is 18 years old. He's grown up so fast. I'm so proud of him. You've heard me talk about him before. But uh, this is something that we all share as Americans, as people in this this world. We're parents. Some of us aren't. But we we try to do the same. We try to instill instill in our kids some values. To be kind. Treat others like you want to be treated. To be hardworking. This isn't liberal. This isn't conservative. This is American. 
this is how this is what we do with our kids. We love them, we train them, and then we cross our fingers when we let them go. And so, um, Carter, I'm, I'm super proud of you. Kimberly, three out of four births, natural. Maybe we'll get to that one day, natural birth versus being induced. But uh, anyways, so with my son's 18th birthday, you know what he's going to be allowed to do? Carter's going to be allowed to vote in his very first presidential election. And I'm really hoping, as a Democrat, he... And he can vote for whoever the hell he wants to. If he wants to vote for Trump, he can still live in my house. There's, there's no big deal with that. Yeah, maybe it might be. I don't know. But he gets to vote in his first presidential election. And right now, it looks like Joe Biden is trailing everybody. He's trailing Trump. He's trailing DeSantis in a one-on-one. He's trailing Nikki Haley. I think if you stuck him up against Adolf Hitler, he loses, you know, 51-49. I don't even like to you know, use Adolf's name at all, but I just did, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of how unpopular or how unsatisfied B- Biden is as, as, as a candidate for Democrats. I kind of liken it. Uh, I, uh, we blend politics and sports on this show, and I think it's a wise thing. It gives us a good, good baseline. It gives us a good contrast. But remember the Florida State Seminoles and Bobby Bowden? Do we remember the Penn State Nittany Lions and Joe Paterno? These guys were the last five years of their coaching careers. I, I used to joke that they used to, you know, Bobby Bowden's coaching in a big game. They would stick the headset on him. And it was a game from 1988 replaying on his headset. And he had literally, you know, no decision making power. In the current football game, Bobby Bowden was just listening to the Florida State Seminoles with like Casey Weldon in 1988 or some shit. Okay? Maybe Weldon wasn't the quarterback in 88. I forget. No, it was probably a little bit later. Who cares? The point is, the point is, we've got Joe Biden, a.k.a. Joe Paterno or Bobby Bowden in his last few years. Joe Biden was once a great politician. His time has passed. Will Joe Biden do what is needed, not only for his party, but for his country? If he stands the biggest chance of losing, will he come forward and say, hey, I still want to be the nominee regardless. I don't care if I'm 15 points down the polls. Now, we've seen some movement on the Democratic side. I've mentioned Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips is not seeking re-election in the House He is running for president, and I applaud him. You've heard me say, the more the merrier. We've also seen Democrat Robert Kennedy Jr. I believe he's running for president. Very interesting. The more the merrier. Will West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin run for president? I think there's three right there that are probably running. Okay? Now, does that mean Roy Cooper from North Carolina jumps in? Does that mean Gavin Newsom jumps in? I sure as fucking hell hope so. My goodness. And we flip over to the, the Republican side for, for a second. And one, there, you know, I guess the House of Representatives, the Republican House, is going to decide in January if they're going to impeach Biden. And 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 they're not, of course, the Republicans aren't they don't have all their ducks in a row. In the Senate, they're shaking their heads going impeachment for what? 
we're not for this. And there's several Republicans in the House that are scratching their head going, impeach him? Um, um, show me some evidence. Show me some evidence other than Hunter Biden is a fucking loser. So if I'm a Republican and I'm looking at the potential, potential beatability, the beatability of Joe Biden, we could beat him if I'm, if I'm a Republican, I'm thinking. I don't care who the nominee is. Why would we want to impeach him? Unless he's done something egregious, like Trump did with Zelensky and the Russia and, and, and Ukraine, or January 6th. And believe you me, uh, cut through the bullshit. If Biden did either one of those things, I would be out. If you can show me, show me that he did, he received payments, he was paying people because of Hunter Biden and Ukraine and, and Burisma, this, this, this energy company that Hunter was on the, on the board of, I would love it and we could get him out of there. If I'm a Republican, I want him in. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see Pete Buttigieg or Gavin Newsom go up against one-on-one -on -one against Trump. If I'm, if I'm a caretaker of the Republican Party and I want Republicans in office, I want, you know, we're gay. Trump might be an awful dude and I'm a Republican, but you know what? We'll mold him. We'll be able to guide him a little bit in the White House, but it's important that a Republican is in the White House. So do you want Joe Biden impeached? Do you want something to come to light that would potentially oust Joe Biden? I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, and, and I talked about this. We are 48, 47 days away from Iowa for the Republicans. And I was looking at polling data. You've got Trump at like 44%, somewhere between 42 and 46%. And then you've got Ron DeSantos and Nikki Haley kind of in, you know, a dead heat, basically, getting somewhere between 17 to 13% apiece, okay? And then you have Vivek getting under 5%. You've got uh, Chris Christie getting under 5%. And so... It would be interesting. I did not see Iowa polling if you just had Haley versus Trump, if you just had DeSantos versus Trump. If, if it was a one-on-one -on -one race, it would be interesting to see where those votes lie. And, and I'm kind of guessing, by, excuse me, Trump would split that DeSantis vote with Haley, which would give him an even bit, you know, basically it would do nothing to his lead, uh, to diminish his lead. And so... It'll be interesting, but may, maybe for Haley and DeSantos, this is what they need. They need a three-person race, and essentially that's what they've got. The question is, you've got, between Vivek and Christie, you know, you've got 6 to 10% potentially of the vote. Where does that go? Does that propel a DeSantis? Does that propel a Nikki Haley into a potential one-on-one -on -one matchup with, with the king? And you don't have to win Iowa. You need a good showing. And there's got to be enough meat left on the bone in terms of votes from other candidates where when they do drop off, and they will drop off, that you can pick up those votes. Maybe you can scrape a couple more percentage points off Trump. Maybe Nikki Haley can go win the state of South Carolina. Okay. Now, either DeSantis or Haley, they, they need enough money and they need a campaign logistically that is set up for the next 30 states. If they're in this and they finish second, third, second, 
the first three states and they don't have enough money and they don't have campaign offices in the remaining states to actually make a difference, then what? Then they're fucked. Then they're fucked. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in this Iowa caucus and how long DeSantis and Haley can stay in and be viable. Remember, Donald Trump did not win a state. He didn't win Iowa. He didn't win New Hampshire in uh, 2015, 2016, when he first became president. He didn't win a state until I believe his fourth state started picking up steam. Okay, so we will monitor this. We will monitor this. But uh, Joe Biden fucking trails everybody. Everybody. I think if, uh, yeah, who's uh, that, that dipshit congressman from uh, New York that lied about everything, George Santos? I think if Biden was running against him, he'd be trailing George Santos, a candidate that is completely made up. Goodness gracious. Here we go. Moving on. Now, college football, the college football playoff. It is. It starts on Friday, essentially, with the University of Washington, my wonderful hometown Washington Huskies versus the Oregon Ducks in a rematch of one of the best games in college football played this, this season. Interesting thing. The Huskies are 12-0. and The Huskies beat the Ducks, and they are nine-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Oregon Ducks and Dan Lanning in Las Vegas at Allegiance Field on Friday night. Nine-and-a-half-point favorites. That, to me, as a Husky fan, obviously – been nervous about the an Oregon rematch all year long, but I love the fact that Washington is being discounted this much. Maybe it gives us, as a football coach, you need edges. Now, I know playing for a national championship and getting into the college football playoff should be enough. However, a little bit more does not hurt. And if I was the Ducks, I'd be a little, geez. If I was Dan Lanning, I'd be walking around the stretching lines going nine and a half point favorites. Are you fucking kidding me? This is an even football game. Hell, I'd make Washington a two-point favorite. I don't know what the fuck you guys have accomplished. You guys didn't get the job done the first time. That's what might be my message if I was Dan Lanning. I'd be on those guys' ass, and I'm sure he is. He is a, a tough son of a gun. But uh, we've got Alabama-Georgia. Oh, that scintillating matchup between Michigan and Iowa. You know, here, here's the thing that sucks as a Washington fan. We've got to beat Oregon twice. The way the Pac-12 standings work, the championship game is played by the top two teams. It doesn't work like that in the Big Ten or the SEC. We used to have a North and a South in the Pac-12. I said Pac-10. And that doesn't exist anymore. We take the top two teams. So we've got to beat Oregon twice. Can you imagine for a second, just if things were the same, if Michigan and Ohio State were doing it again on a neutral field on Saturday night, one, it'd be awesome. Two, it would suck for Michigan. It'd be great for Ohio State. It's kind of the same scenario with Washington. It sucks we've got to play the Ducks and beat them a second time. Now, Bo Nix has only lost four games as a starting quarterback for Oregon. Two of them are to Washington. He's 0-2 against Washington, a 9.5-point underdog. Got him all over the place. And one of the things I like about Washington, they have played in some awful conditions the last three or four weeks, and we have watched their passing game, which has been so great. for They've won 19 straight games. has been so great with Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix. It has been 
meh the last three or four weeks, every five weeks, ever since the Oregon game. It has not been like we've like we've been accustomed to seeing out of Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubbar, offensive coordinator, and Michael Penix. So, is Alabama going to beat Georgia? Jaden Milrow, we've talked about him. He had a miracle throw last week. Incredible. Can you imagine if we had a fucking 12-team playoff right now? There's like eight teams deserving that should have a shot at a national title. The 12-team playoff cannot come soon enough. It should have come one year sooner because it is just going to... A selection show with 12 teams, automatic bids from the Power 5 conferences, freaking awesome. So the last thing I want to highlight, two coaches. My Husky coach, Kalen DeBoer. This dude can flat-out coach. This is the best coach we've had at Washington since Don James. And I've heard you know, longtime Husky players say this. <clears throat> if I was a college football program like Texas A&M, who just made a hire, by the way, Kentucky D coordinator, I forget his name, I would be going after DeBoer. If I was Auburn, if I would be trying to entice Kalen DeBoer away from Washington. Now, here's another coach I want to talk about. Kirby Smart, the head football coach of Georgia. Back-to-back national championships. I feel like Kirby doesn't get... It's all Saban, 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 Saban. It was like Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney. Kirby Smart. Is, it, he's, is he quietly becoming the best coach in college football? Or not so quietly? I feel like he does not get enough credit. My hat goes off to Kirby Smart. He has... Georgia's had a lot a lot of coaches come and go. Almost my entire life, Georgia was never a national championship contender. They really weren't. Under Kirby Smart, they have, they have surpassed Alabama. They are the team in this country until someone proves otherwise. And that team, their captain is Kirby Smart. And I, I just feel, Kirby, a shout out to you. I feel like you don't get the credit you deserve. So, <coughs> excuse me, coughing right into the damn mic. Sorry, I've had a cold for like two and a half weeks. All right. You know, I just got to touch on this too. Watching college football and pro football, think about it if you were watching it in 1983, in 1993, and 2003, and then 2023. The violence from our game that we love are they just literally trying to squeeze all violence out of football games? I'm watching college kids. There's a review on the play, and they call it targeting. And you're watching this kid play, and you're like, he didn't launch his head. The offensive player made a move at the last second, and their heads collided. This was not vicious. And yet this kid is going to get this college kid who may have one or two games left in his career has just been thrown out of the game and for the second half of the next game. Kareem Jackson, Denver Broncos safety, got suspended three games earlier in the year. He comes back. He causes a fumble on a play in a game, his first game back, and there's no call on the field. After the game, Kareem Jackson got suspended four games for helmet to helmet. It was not that bad. And so, do we want to take all of the violence 
out of the NFL and college football? Or should there be some violence? I listen to, to pro football players, pa, you know, past pro football players talk about the game today. And they're like, man, we, you know, we couldn't have played back then. Or they don't practice hard. They don't let them hit. They don't blah, 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 blah. And yet I know those players are also the ones advocating for more safety. It's, it's kind of tough. Can, you can't have it both ways. The game's got to be safer so we protect our players uh, once they're done playing. But some of these old players who still want that protection look at the game today and go, man, this is, this is nothing. If you were to watch John Elway, his rookie year, 1983, or 19, his second year, 1984, and watch how bad he got hit, you watch Jim Kelly get kicked around. The game was violent. You watch some of the defensive backs play with their forearms and hitting over the middle. The game was violent. And I'm not saying we return to that game. But there is a certain level of violence that needs to be allowed for. This game needs violence. If Rod, and I might have said this before. If Roger Goodell was the commissioner of my beloved sport, boxing, he would be looking to outlaw the left hook and the overhand right. Too dangerous. There'd be a goddamn replay. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said goddamn. Son of a bitch. He'd have a replay, and hell, the fighter might be kicked out of the fight. Boxing needs violence. It has to have it. Football needs a level of violence. Okay? I think we all can agree on that. There's so much bullshit going on. Football needs violence. Can you imagine? You know, here's the we've talked about running backs, whether it be the collegiate level, pro level. There is no such thing, basically, as helmet to helmet between the tackles. Running back hands gets hand of the ball 15, 20 times a game, and he's got a helmet, helmet to helmet collision every single play, just about. Never gets called. It's outside the tackles, essentially, unless it's really egregious. Just another example of how running backs. They don't get protected when when it comes time to getting paid. They don't get protected when it, you know, every other position, quarterbacks especially, receivers, tight ends, everybody gets protected outside of the box. The running back makes his living inside the tackles, and he just gets smashed. There's no rule for that. <coughs> not good to be a running back. It's just not good to be a running back. Switch positions, young man. Go to linebacker. You guys are built for it. All right. Well, it should be an awesome time for college football. We'll, we'll see how many kids get kicked out this week for for targeting bullshit targeting rules when it, it was just a bang bang play. We'll see, but it's 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 going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Now, I've got to. I've uh, we're, we're switching topics here. We're staying on sports. I've got to apologize to my listeners. I was pumping up a fight. We're going to talk boxing for a second. I was pumping up a fight between Shakur Stevenson and Edwin De Los Santos on ESPN on a Thursday night. I said Shakur Stevenson may be the most talented fighter I've ever seen. And I learned a lesson. I gave you guys some bad advice. Shakur Stevenson won this fight against Edwin De Los Santos in an absolute stinker. Okay. Edwin De Los Santos was everything I said he was. He's fast. He's vicious. He he punches hard. And Shakur Stevenson inside the ring agreed with all of those things. And 
very similar. Stevenson fought a guy named Jeremiah, Jeremiah Nakatilo, something like that, I, I believe. And Nakatilo could throw this hard right hand a la Vernon Forrest. And he, he couldn't land it. But Shakur smelt that right hand and didn't want any part of it. And so he fought a safety first fight, kind of like a Floyd Mayweather fight. He did the exact same thing in this Edwin De Los Santos fight. He smelled De Los Santos, and he chose to stink it up. De Los Santos was trying. He was trying. Now, Shakur won the fight. And I'm not sure still anybody can beat Shakur, especially when he goes into defensive mode like that because you cannot hit him. But I will never... I will monitor Shakur Stevenson, and I will not recommend a Shakur Stevenson fight until he shows me that he's willing to mix it up a little bit. And I will recommend to you an Edwin De Los Santos fight because when this guy gets matched right, it will be absolute fireworks. So Nick the American, I screwed up. I told you guys to tune in on a Thursday night on ESPN. It was a special night. And the fight absolutely did not deliver. And I, I looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. Shakur played it safe. And and I don't want as, as general sports fans, and I'm trying to get you into boxing, I don't want I don't I don't want to show you a fight where 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 one of the combatants plays it ultra safe. So now look what I'm wearing, baby. Team Benavidez, the Team red flag. Benavidez. Demetrius Andrade, both men are undefeated. The Mexican monster, my boy David Benavidez, the official fighter of Nick the American, as you know if you've been listening. He fought 32-0 Demetrius Andrade on Saturday night. I had a bunch of people over for the fight. I was, you know, I've got my red Benavidez sweatshirt on right now. I had my red Benavidez uh, sweatpants on. I was all benavidez up. I was all benavidez up. Right and down goes and this is a kid that you have to see fight. He's the official fighter of Nick the American for a reason. Because he will never, ever disappoint. I promise you that. David will promise you that. He went in and very quickly figured out Demetrius Andrade and beat the living shit out of him. Okay? Good for David Benavidez. As a sports fan, this guy is must-see TV. There's a call now for him to fight Canelo Alvarez. We'll see if Canelo Alvarez answers that call. We don't know what's next for Benavides. If it's not Alvarez, he's been floating, fighting Bitter BF or Bivol. There's David Morell out there who seems like a dangerous opponent. It's all risk, no reward. The fight probably needs to marinate a little bit longer. Morell needs to win a few more fights. But literally at the in the 168-pound division, there's nobody else besides David Morell. David Morell, Canelo, and the Mexican monster, David Benavides. So Benavides is an absolute stud. And I, I got to share you, share this story with you really quick. I, I gave you, the, you know, how I, I came to, to stumble upon David Benavides in Renton, Washington, when he, when he was training there with, with, with his dad and he had a gym. He since moved to Berrien, Washington, down the street a little bit. I was even actually looking for real estate for Jose Sr., texting him back and forth. Um, about a potential couple possibilities for gyms, and, and they ended up, I couldn't find a good one, and they ended up going to Burien. But my daughter was sick. This was, he fought Caleb Plant six months ago, five months ago. And my daughter was sick on a Friday, like the week after the Benavidez plant fight. And so I took care of her, and we went to a breakfast place called Jayberry's in Renton. And me and Campbell are enjoying 
our breakfast. And guess who walks into Jayberry's to get food to go? I'm not even kidding. Literally a week after he beats Caleb Plant, the Mexican monster David Benavides walks in to a, a packed Jayberry's, and he's getting food to go. And I'm sitting there with my little girl, and I look up, I'm like, and, and I literally announce him to the entire restaurant. David Benavidez, baby, in the house. Super middleweight champ of the world, you guys, right there. The best super middleweight in the world. Everyone's looking around. Like, he just got done on pay-per-view beating the shit out of Caleb Plant. That's exactly what I said. Told him who was his next fight, stuff like that. He was very humbled. He was getting to-go food. And, uh... Afterwards, a couple of the, the people at the restaurant, some of the, the, the waiting staff came up. Who was that? Who was that? I'm like, that's David Benavides. He lives right here, and he is as good as any fighter in the world. So me and my little girl, she's down on her luck. She's not feeling good. Go get her an omelet. Try to fill her belly with some comfort food. And we run into the Mexican monster David Benavides. No wonder why he's the official fighter and Nick the American. I mean, come on. Awesome stuff. Way to go, David Benavidez. Keep pumping your ass up. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Let's see here. So it was Thanksgiving this past weekend. What did you guys do for Thanksgiving? I don't know. Did you have turkey? Great. Wonderful. What did I do? Well, as you guys know, I, I let you know, my sister un unexpectedly passed away um, a month and a half ago. And it was, it's, it's been a hard time for our family, hard time for me. Hard time for my mother and my father. You're not supposed to bury your kids. You're not supposed to go before before your kids do. And so my parents have had a real tough time. But I had my sister's two boys over, 21-year-old Connor and 19-year-old and uh, Cody. And uh, I didn't want anyone else over. I know my wife's aunt and uncle wanted to come over and, and, and some other people. And I just wanted it to be about Cody and Connor and I, and I wanted my sister to smile somewhere, knowing that uh, you know, her brother was with, 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 with her boys and uh, keeping some sort of normalcy. I cooked a, a ribeye roast, a huge ribeye roast, and on the big green egg, you know how much I love the big green egg, I smoked a turkey. Turkey was excellent. The ribeye roast was amazing. We had lots of food. Connor, the 21-year-old, made pies. Connor, those pies weren't very good. Step up your game. We'll have to talk about it. But uh, it, was a, it was a special time. We lazed around and watched football. And 5 o'clock, the Seahawks and the 49ers played. And it was good for me because I hate the Seahawks. And it was bad for Connor and Cody. They liked the Seahawks. And uh, so it, it was a good, good time. And uh, I hope to to it again. I you know I have a responsibility to connect with those boys more so now than ever, and uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And here we are, Christmas times upon us. Rock and roll, right, baby? All right, let's get into something a little, a little, little bit, a little bit more interesting. And uh, I saw that uh, the King had tweeted out Donnie Trump um, or spoke about uh, repealing. Obamacare again once he becomes president. And I just, I hadn't talked healthcare at all on this show in 28 episodes. And so I think, you know, I, I'm just going to give you my take on healthcare, you know, the socialist take from Nick the American. And I think this is something where Republicans and Democrats, listen to what I say. 
I'm not a, I, I'm not a socialist per se, but in terms of healthcare, if there's one thing that we can give the American people, if we, there's one thing we can give the people of the richest country on the face of the earth, it's their health. It's their health. I think it's like it's just like a basic human right. I don't think it should be considered a handout to have health care in this country that is either A, affordable, or B, free. To me, if you can give someone their health, then there's no excuse. You go out and you go get the American dream. Okay? Now, with health care, is it a handout? Or is it not a handout? And so I, I think about Republicans and Democrats giving tax cuts. Dems want to target tax cuts here. Republicans want to tax, you know, target tax cuts here. Student loan forgiveness, okay, that's a big tax cut. PPP loans to businesses that were unfortunate during the pandemic. We gave PPP loans to plenty of businesses who were kicking ass during the pandemic. Why do we do tax cuts or propose student loan debt? or PPP, or universal health care. We want to stimulate the economy. We want to put money in the, in the pocket of American workers, American families, so they can get the economy going. Let it flow. Let it flow. That's the whole point of a tax cut. That's the whole point of maybe uh, student loan debt forgiveness, or PPP loans, or other stuff. Okay? To me, it's the same thing with health care. Not only to, to me, this liberal, is it a basic human right that we can give all Americans so that they get no excuses, go achieve those things. Now, think about this. Think about this. I could go in front of 30 people at a restaurant, stab the waiter with a knife and kill him. What do I have a right to? Everybody saw me do it. I have a right to a court-appointed attorney. If I go out and break my arm and I don't have insurance, if I go out and get in a car wreck and I don't have insurance, I'm basically bankrupt. And I think the majority of bankruptcies in the United States happen because of health. And I just don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. And so I know, uh, you know, oh, Nick, this will this will wreck the, the federal budget. This will ruin our economy. This will make health care prices go up if we have universal health care. Before we had Obamacare, Healthcare prices were already through the freaking roof. I worked at a company seven years before I started my own business, and we had seven different companies, seven different healthcare plans in seven years. Some of those we might have Primera in year two, and then again in year four. Okay. I would ask my HR department, what's going on? Why are we always changing plans? Well, uh, Primera Blue Cross or whatever we would have, they went up 139%. So our HR department would literally have a whole, you know, hire outside consultants to look for plans for us every year and then give us a new plan. So before Obamacare, healthcare was out of control and crazy. So when we had Obamacare, people had a reason, you know, oh, now we can blame crazy ass healthcare prices on Obamacare. It's never going to be easy as you transition to a government option like the Affordable Care Act slash Obamacare or single-payer universal health care. I just believe if we can give Americans one thing, one thing to go out and achieve the American dream, it's your health. Is that liberal or conservative? I I'm sorry, but we should figure out a way to pay for this because if we can, 
And, and I'm, I'm not an economist. I, I don't belong at the CBO with the Congressional Budget Office figuring out how this all works. But this would be a priority of mine because I want to put money in the pockets of Americans so they can stimulate the economy. Your health, is it really a handout? Is it really a handout? And I would love to have this, this debate with conservatives, but don't call me uh, a, a socialist. We, in this, we're not an untethered capitalistic society. We have elements of socialism, and both sides are, uh, you know, are in line with that, even though, even though Republicans like to claim that Democrats are socialists. And we may be, if we don't have a Republican Party, keeping us in check. But don't call me a socialist just because I want to give people their health. It is important. Give them their health and let Americans go out and dominate. Don't make them go bankrupt because of their health. The basic human right. That's the stance of Nick the American. And, and we should just have a debate on it. We should have a debate on it. I hear Trump say, it was, listen, on the Republican side of the healthcare debate, we have repeal and replace. That was what Trump said. That was his number one campaign promise in 2020. That was his number one. I'm going to repeal Obamacare and replace it in the same day, he said. The same day, the same week, the same month, no, the same day. Simultaneous repeal and replace. The truth is, there's only a repeal on the Republican side. There is no replace of Obamacare. There is no consensus on health care in the Republican House or the Republican Senate. It will never happen. The only thing that will happen with Trump is a repeal, meaning he gets the votes in the House and then he gets the votes in the Senate. He couldn't even repeal it in the Senate last time because he couldn't go apologize. The, 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 the deal, the, the kingmaker, the deal man, Mr. the art of the deal, could not go sit down with John McCain and work something out with him. And McCain squashed it. So on the Republican side, there's only a repeal. He will say repeal, replace, just like he did in 2020. But there is no replacement option. So, there you go. There you go. A basic human right. That is what, that, 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 that's why I am pro-universal health care. I want to get everybody taken care of. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have insurance and you walk in, you still get taken care of. You're bankrupt. Other people are footing the bill. Prices are skyrocketing. But you're still bankrupt. That shouldn't be the case in the richest, richest country on, the, on earth. And again, I want to stimulate the economy. Let's sit down, Republicans. How do we do it? How do we give people, the American worker, the American family, more money to stimulate our economy and just get it flowing? That's why I'm for it. I know we could come to consensus, just regular folks. Certainly not in the House or the Senate. But we can come to consensus, and you don't have to call me a socialist. You can just understand where I'm coming from. And I can understand where you're coming from. Okay? All right. Moving on. You know, this, I was going to talk about this last week. It's, and now it's, 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 it's gotten stale for another week. But uh, uh, sports gambling, <clears throat> I don't do it a lot. I've got friends that are just crazy. It's got a million different bets going, and it's really cool. I, 
it's so great. You know, March Madness, I can go to a casino with my buddies. We've got these awesome sports books, and we can go lay some action down on all these March Madness games. But sports gambling, it just seems like, you know, wow, it is it is catching wildfire. It is everywhere. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago, it was taboo. Sports gambling, well, we can't have franchises in Vegas. That would be... A, you know, uh, uh, compromising our brands. No, we can't have gambling associated with associated with sports. And now, out the window. One of the reasons why I consider myself a liberal. Gambling? American citizens? Should they be able to gamble? Sure. I don't know what conservatives think about it. I know that gambling isn't liberal or conservative. Everybody does it. I think everyone's coming around to it. And so, really cool. Really cool. Now, the flip side of why you might be conservative on gambling is because you don't want dad going and gambling his paycheck away and, and instead of providing for his family. But there has to be some individual accountability. So totally liberal on, on sports gambling. And I want to bring this up. So two weeks ago now, week and a half ago, two weeks, we had the New Mexico State Aggies going to Jordan-Hare Stadium to play the Auburn Tigers. They were 27-point underdogs. And guess what the New Mexico State Aggies did? Over the middle! Touchdown, Aggies! They Star beat the Thomas living shit out of Auburn. It was 31-10. Amazing. 27-point dogs. Now, from the same state, in the same day, New Mexico, the Lobos, went to Fresno State. And we're like 23 and a half point dogs against the Fresno State Bulldogs. And New Mexico, the Lobos, pulled out this amazing upset. New Mexico State, New Mexico. Wow. What are the odds of being 20 plus point underdogs on the road and somehow, some way, pulling off those two incredible upset victories? Imagine if he had a two-game parlay on that, what that would have paid. I like it. Holy moly. Well, it, this got me thinking. This got me thinking. Gambling. Everyone's all caught up in uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And this is the first time I've had you've, you've heard me talk about Taylor Swift in the Ares Tour. My wife's getting tickets, going to New Orleans. But uh, you have not heard me chime in on Jason Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I call her Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. I understand what her name is. You have not heard me chime in. So I tested this out with my wife, and she got very upset at me. She thought it was stupid. She wanted to smack me across the face. She probably scratched her head and for like the 3,000th time questioned why she married me. But I gave my wife this over under on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. How many times have they had sex? I don't care about the football. I'm not going to comment them all the time, but let's have fun. We're talking about gambling. I'm putting the over-under right in front of you folks at 12. I don't even know how many times. They haven't even been together that, that long or that many times with her in Brazil and on tour, him in, in the midst of the NFL season. I am putting the over-under on sex at 12. Now, what do you take? Do you got the over with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Do you got the under? Pretend that your favorite dog that 
that's been around for six years is going to get killed if you pick the wrong one. What do you got? Over, under, 12 times. What do I got? God. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to say they've done it 10 times. All right? What say you, ladies and gentlemen? What say you? All right, God, I, I go into the toilet. I go into the toilet. Hey, by the way, hey, you know, speaking of the toilet, you know, I, I've been promoting bidets, and you know, hey, it's one of the greatest, you know, inventions of, you know, the, the you know, it, it's just been amazing, a game changer for me. But listen, folks, saw a, saw saw some information out since Nick the American started airing and talking about bidets. This is real. Rim jobs are up fourteen percent. Okay, so all sorts of benefits to a bidet. Here is another one besides a clean crack. Rim jobs up 11% across the country. I can't take credit for all of it. I've only got a few million listeners, but I can take credit for some of it. So, wow, get yourself a bidet. Man, all sorts of benefits. All right, all right. What do I cover next? I, we're, we're winding down here, and I've not talked about the official football team of Nick the American, the Denver Broncos. We were 1-5, ladies and gentlemen. I know you know that. I know you know that. Well, now we're 6-5. and five. We have won five straight wins over Kansas City, wins over you know Buffalo on Monday night. We just beat the Browns. And probably our best game of the year at 29 to 12. Russell Wilson isn't cooking, but he's been efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over, although he did fumble against the Browns. <clears throat> he makes plays when he needs to. He's using his feet a lot more. Hell, he's a couple of, of decent game, uh, you know, a couple of three touchdown pass games away from maybe being in the MVP conversation. And uh, hey, I'm here to tell you, I don't think the Denver Broncos are that good. But I am tickled pink that we are winning football games, that we are now in the playoff race. Watching my son Spencer go crazy like a 13-year-old Nick would is a lot of fun because when you're 1-5, and five, there's nothing to get upset about. There's nothing to get excited about. It's all bullshit. So I have to eat some crow. Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator who I called for his head, he was back to fuck the Denver Broncos. The defense has completely become a turnover machine, getting turnovers. Vance Joseph, I tip my cap to you. Sean Payton, I tip my cap to you. One in five, it looked like. And we were we were entering. We had lost to some shitty teams, the Raiders, the Jets. We were entering the meat of our schedule. And now we're six and five? I don't think this season really goes anywhere. I, I, I'm hoping it's a playoff berth. I, I, I don't think we can really make noise. But talk to me in three weeks. Maybe I will think differently. Maybe I will. Go Denver. Go Denver. Let's go, Broncos. Let's go. Who do we got this week? Who do the Broncos got? Oh, the Houston Texans. We got that uh, badass quarterback from the Ohio State Buckeyes. Anyways, I think I've talked enough. We've covered a range of stuff. I might try to get another podcast out soon. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to be in Boston all week. But if I don't talk to you, I'm going to miss you. 
I'm going to come up with an even better show next week. And uh, that is Nick the American, Eric Dickerson, episode 29. Have a great rest of your week. And go dogs on Friday. We'll talk about it. We'll find out if they're in the college football playoff or it could be duck season. And if you're if you're a gambler, you're falling Las Vegas, they say it's duck time. So we will see. All right. I've had enough of you. You guys have had enough of me. Now go be productive. I love you. Bye.